Chapter 70 Let us remember well, however, the secret references to a period of one hundred twenty years that Brother A, the successor of D, and last of the second line of succession, who lived among many of us, addressed to us, we of the third line of succession. Fama Fraternitatis in Allgemeine und General Reformation, Kassel, Wessel, 1614. First thing, I read through the two manifestos of the Rosicrucians, the Fama and the Confessio. I also took a look at the Chemical Wedding of Christian Rosenkreutz by Johann Valentin André, because André was the presumed author of the manifestos. The two manifestos appeared in Germany between 1614 and 1615, thus about thirty years after the 1584 meeting between the French and English Templars, and almost a century before the French were to meet with the Germans. I read, not to believe what the manifestos said, but to look beyond them, as if the words meant something else. To help them mean something else, I knew I should skip some passages and attach more importance to some statements than to others. But this was exactly what the diabolicals and their masters were teaching us. If you move in the refined time of revelation, do not follow the fussy Philistine chains of logic and their monotonous sequentiality. Taken literally, these two texts were a pile of absurdities, riddles, contradictions. Therefore, they could not be saying what they seemed to be saying, and were neither a call to profound spiritual reformation, nor the story of poor Christian Rosenkreutz. They were a coded message to be read by superimposing them on a grid, a grid that left certain spaces free while covering others, like the coded message of Provins, where only the initial letters counted. Having no grid, I had to assume the existence of one. I had to read with mistrust. The manifestos spoke of the plan of Provins. There could be no doubt about that. In the grave of C.R., allegory of the Grand Jodine, the night of June 23, 1344, a treasure had been placed for posterity to discover, a treasure hidden for one hundred and twenty years. It was not money, that much was clear. Not only was there a polemic against the unrestrained greed of the alchemists, but the text said openly that what had been promised was a great historical change. And if the reader failed to understand that, the second manifesto said that there could be no ignoring an offer that concerned the Miranda Sextae Aetatis, the wonders of the sixth and final appointment. And it repeated, If only it had pleased God to bring down to us the light of his sixth candelabrum. If only we could read everything in a single book, and, reading it, understand and remember. How pleasant it would be if through song, the message read aloud, we could transform rocks, lapis exilis, into pearls and precious stones. And there was further talk of arcane secrets, and of a government that was to be established in Europe, and of a great work to be achieved. It was said that C.R. had gone to Spain, or Portugal, and had shown the learned there whence to draw the true indicia of future centuries. But in vain. Why in vain? Was it because a group of German Templars at the beginning of the seventeenth century made public a very closely guarded secret, forced to come out into the open on account of a halt in the process of the transmission of the message? The manifestos undeniably tried to reconstruct the phases of the plan as Diotalevi had summarized them. The first brother whose death was mentioned was Brother I.O., who had come to the end in England. So, someone had arrived triumphantly at the first appointment, and a second line of succession was mentioned, and a third. Thus far, all was apparently in order. The second line, the English one, met the third line, the French one, in 1584. 
those writing at the beginning of the seventeenth century spoke only of what had happened to the first three groups. In the chemical wedding written by Andrei in his youth, hence before the manifestos, even if they appeared as early as 1614, three majestic temples were mentioned, the three places that must already have been known. Yet reading, I realized that while the two manifestos did indeed speak later in the same terms as the chemical wedding, it was as if something upsetting had happened meanwhile. For example, why such insistence on the fact that the time had come, the moment had come, though the enemy had employed all his tricks to keep the occasion from materializing? What occasion? It was said that C.R.'s final goal was Jerusalem, but he hadn't been able to reach Jerusalem. Why not? The Arabs were praised because they exchanged messages, but in Germany the learned didn't know how to assist one another. What did that mean? And there was a reference to a larger group that wants the pasture all for itself. Evidently some party, pursuing its private interests, was trying to upset the plan, and evidently there had been, in fact, a serious setback. The Fama said that at the beginning someone had worked out a magic writing, why, of course, the message of Provins, but that the clock of God struck every minute, whereas ours is unable to strike even the hours. Who had missed the strokes of the divine clock? Who had failed to arrive at a certain place at the right moment? There was a reference to an original group of brothers who could have revealed a secret philosophy but had decided instead to disperse throughout the world. The manifestos breathed uneasiness, uncertainty, bewilderment. The brothers of the first lines of succession had each arranged to be replaced by a worthy successor, but they decided to keep secret the place of their burial, and even today we do not know where they are buried. What did this really refer to? What sepulchre was without an address? It was becoming obvious to me that the manifestos were written because some information had been lost. An appeal was being made to anyone who happened to possess that information. He should come forward. The end of the fama was unequivocal. Again we ask all the learned of Europe to consider with kindly disposition our offer to let us know their reflections, because even if for the present we have not revealed our names, anyone who sends us his name will be able to confer with us personally or if some impediment exists, in writing. This was exactly what the colonel had intended to do by publishing his story, force someone to emerge from his silence. There had been a gap, a hiatus, an unraveling. In the tomb of C.R. there was written not only post centum vigintianos patebo, to recall the schedule of the appointments, but also ne quaquam vacuum, not the void does not exist, but the void should not exist. A void had been created, and it had to be filled. Once again I asked myself, why were these things being said in Germany, where, if anything, the fourth line should simply wait with saintly patience for its own turn to come? The Germans couldn't complain, in 1614, of a failed appointment in Marienburg, because the Marienburg appointment would not take place until 1704. Only one conclusion was possible. The Germans were complaining because the preceding appointment had not taken place. This was the key. The Germans, the fourth line, were lamenting the fact that the English, the second line, had failed to reach the French, the third line. Of course, in the text you could find allegories that were almost childishly transparent. The tomb of C.R. is opened, and in it are found the signatures of the brothers of the first and second circles, but not of the third. The Portuguese and the English are there, but where are the French? In other words, the English had missed the French. 
Yet the English, according to what we had established, were the only ones who had any idea where to find the French, just as the French were the only ones who had any idea where to find the Germans. So even if the French found the Germans in 1704, they would have shown up minus two-thirds of what they were supposed to deliver. The Rosicrucians came out into the open, accepting the known risks, because that was the only way to save the plan.